Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Primarily, I'm going to talk today as a prequel for a two-part interview I did with Dr. Christopher Palmer up at Harvard after I saw one of his presentations down in, in Palm West, Florida. And what he covered was basically a new frontier, in my perspective, is behavioral behavioral science relative to uh, implementing the ketogenic diet, psychiatry in other words. And so before I get into that, I, I, I wanted to just sort of spill my enthusiasm about a recent experience that I've had and sort of ongoing is that because I attend a number of the low-carb conferences, I also have the privilege of watching them online when I'm not there. And so I got to watch, they were recently in Seattle, and so I got to watch a number of presentations. And they're all, to me, I just love the earnestness in which the presentations are. Some are more detailed and some are more, uh, I won't even say anecdotal because they all paint a much larger picture. Some are more about food, some are more about uh, meat, some are more about, you know, why is the ketogenic diet so, not quite ubiquitous, but so multi-applicable to so many different uh, situations. So what I was going to do is I'm just going to read the summary of one of the talks, and this is an, an interesting, this is a husband of a couple, a husband and a wife who 15 years ago started a cookbook on keto. And uh, she started in a, in a cookbook because they were out of money, he had lost his job, and they were about to adopt two kids from Ethiopia. And this is a way to raise some money so they could make the adoption work. Talk about clever. Anyway, they went on to have quite a following in the ketogenic area, and they were never sort of teaching or coaching. They were just, she was writing her cookbook, and and it was back at the early stages, and people followed that cookbook. So what I wanted to get to was uh, he did a nice summary of simply the people would send in comments about how their lives have changed. Uh, The implication is because of their cookbook, but mostly it was about their application and various programs that they had been through. So it was a, a, cross, a cross reference of different categories. And I'm going to do that with Dr. Christopher Plummer's work as well in just a moment. Okay, so here's, here's just some of the, you know, first the first thing people think about is it just for weight loss. 
And it's obviously very successful for weight loss. Once you get the right combination for you, and I would suggest, you know, you you figure that out or you go through a program um, that will help you do that. Sometimes it's just easier to get some outside perspective of what you need to do. And it's not the same for everybody as we've already talked about. And we certainly have a program. There's a disclaimer on that that I've talked about just last episode. But here you have people in their 70s. I love this couple, 73 and 77 years old. One lost 100 some odd pounds and the other is, oh, nearly that much. And it goes on and on of people. What I like is looking at older people that have lost this weight and younger people as well. But you don't often see hear about the people in their 70s or their 60s or even later. You know, we, we tend to think and we tend to accept as we get older that things, if they haven't changed in our lives, are not going to change, you know, yet, or they're not going to change because enough of our life has gone by. And I think that's a false assumption, but a lot of people just fall back into that. If you have sisters and brothers and or parents, you'll know that it's very difficult to get them to change after a certain point, if ever, because you're a sibling or a son and daughter. So there's that. That's just overwhelmingly true. And everybody likes to have that. When people ask about it, I want to have some abs. That's, you know, they want the six pack ab. That's kind of a superficial motivation. But getting the abs has little to do with working out and has more to do with losing fat. So that's why keto can help with that. Uh, the working out part, which is not something you really need to do much for your abs, particularly. And you know that I'm big into uh, high intensity training, that that's something you don't need to seek out individually. Just basically lose the weight and uh, get in and, and start doing HIT, HIT. I'll say, what else? Uh, certainly type 2 diabetes. We've heard about that. Verta Health is built upon that concept is reversing type 2 diabetes. But this was at least 10 years before Verta. So that reality has been out there and it's no longer earth-shaking. Though there's a um, person I perhaps will be working with that has roughly 400 pounds to lose and is on eight medications that uh, it will be an outstanding story. However, we need to lock it in with his physician who has not heard much about keto. So we have to get his up because he needs to de-prescribe over time this particular person. And so it takes a little work to make sure the connections are all lined up. So you then can start to begin to do the miracle of keto and see where it ends up. Okay. So that's on weight loss, type two diabetes eczema and skin and skin uh, issues. Eczema has had a big, a big, a good response in terms of turning back eczema, both facially on the legs and body. And you know why you have to ask, why is that? Uh, There's a lot of reasons. I'm not going to go into the why I'm just categorically going over what some changes have already has already happened so far. Oh yeah. We don't hear much about GI gut. That's certainly been my story, both severe Crohn's and colitis, and I'm hale and hearty right now, let me tell you, both by colonoscopy and just how I feel and muscle mass and lean. So I'm over the top. I'm maybe an N of one, but I'm thinking I'm an N of a couple thousand that are just like me. So we can look at IBS, acid reflux, that's the first to go away in a couple of days, Crohn's, colitis. What about multiple sclerosis, MS, and Graves' disease? which is Graves' disease you don't hear that much about. Um, It's interesting because that's an adrenal cortex problem. It's um, cortisol deficiency. We know you say, well, why is that? It's a fascinating story why that is, which we're not going to go into now, but think of the reason I bring this up. There seems to be almost a 
a degree of disparity of what do these have in common? MS is a neurological condition, neurotransmitters, and the sheathing of the neurons. And Graves is also, um, it's, it's neurologic, but it's more in terms of hormones that are being secreted. So it's slightly different. What else do we have? We have Alzheimer's, mood disorders, which we'll talk about with Dr. Palmer, and ADHD, and autism. So what I'm not saying here, and what nobody's saying here, is that you can reverse this. They're saying that so many people who, especially for children, this is hard for parents, is to put their children on a ketogenic diet and say, this is it. Give them no choice of processed foods and the sweets and so on and so forth. And what happens? Suddenly they'll be off their medications and they won't be craving all the stupid foods that kids have been exposed to and the same stupid foods that I was when I grew up. So I'm not passing judgment on that. You know, the Halloween sweets and everything else. Um, It's just tremendous. And yet there are no papers on there. This isn't a claim out there. These are in essence, grassroots reports of this is what's happened in this family to these children, to these adults. It's mind-blowing. It's just nice to have a broad report of how has the ketogenic diet affected different conditions in different people. Because we tend to only see the more superficial pages of people showing before and after. And now you can see my biceps. Now you can see my abs. I get rather very tired of that sort of thing. And I think it's much more profound than that. So when we're looking at the Alzheimer's, the mood disorders, the ADHD and all autism is what we're looking at are neurotransmitters. And so why have neurotransmitters changed so much? That's a rhetorical question right now. What about fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, Lyme disease? Are there any papers out there? No, but you'll hear reports more than just one and more than just a few that say that things have gotten incredibly better. People who have been with chronic Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease is people who have had it for over a number of years and it no longer can be sort of addressed by oral antibiotics and other things. And so often they have to go in for IV antibiotics at, at length and special combinations. Well, the ketogenic diet has sort of come out of left field and it's an anti-inflammatory and people aren't quite sure why it works but the reports are there. They feel better. Sometimes incredible returns to no episodes of joint pain or whatever features of Lyme disease they are being, uh, are experiencing. Um, what else we have? Certainly we have blood pressure. We have kidney disease, but she didn't know it was going to be good with kidney, kidney disease. In fact, that was probably one of the more conservative issues it was brought up against uh, ketogenic diet, especially when it was, there's been so many misconceptions when the Atkins diet was thought of being as a high uh, protein diet, i.e. high meat diet. The first response was, oh, high meat is bad for your kidneys. And do you realize that that's never been reported outside of an existing person with kidney disease and having high protein? And yet there's not very much of that. So here we have reports of kidney disease. Here's one. Went to the doctor yesterday. I was in stage three kidney disease. Now I'm in stage two, uh, which is great. Stage three, obviously, prior to the appointment. Is hemoglobin 1AC dropped down, which is key measurement for all these things. Um, 
That's tremendous. Nobody, nobody even thought about looking at that. Off medications, that goes without saying. Um, like the individual we're thinking about working with, you know, seven medications, that's going to be tremendous. This person is, when they're on seven medications, plus, you know, ones they can do as needed, like a tranquilizer or like a benzodiazepine or a muscle relaxant, you know, that's eight medications plus periodically another two, and then you throw in aspirin. So can you imagine your life being controlled by a series of bottles in essence? And then for you to keep track of that, that's, that's quite a burden. It would take the fun, just keeping track of it and having the commitment to keep those up would be too much for me. Okay. And antidepressants, of course. So, and then they have collective family poundage loss. When keto has come to a whole family, it's before and after family shots from the parents to the kids. It's, it's phenomenal. So it's just fun to sort of see this overview of responses. So now I'm going to go on to talk about Dr. Palmer and his work. And so he's up at Harvard and you have to think from the perspective of a psychiatrist. It, it, and, and the psychiatry is not just like Sigmund Freud and having somebody on the couch and that's it. They're often people that are in dangerous situations to themselves. If they have schizophrenia, bipolar, manic depressants, obsessive compulsive disorders, they're a danger to themselves. And their medications have been, for the most part, we'll say in quotes, a godsend. They made them be less dangerous to themselves. But the question always is, what happens if they forget to take their meds? Unfortunately, that's become kind of a laugh line for uh, a lot of interpersonal comments like, I think you're off your meds. But there's a real serious side to that as well. And he's going to go into that. And so that has already happened. It happened about a month ago, and we're just going to now release it in the next coming weeks. But, you know, he goes off and says, you know, an overview of of the ketogenic diet. Well, there's a lot of variations of the ketogenic diet. You have the classic ketogenic diet, which I've told you about a number of times, which was developed at the Mayo Clinic, 1921 to 24, Dr. Wilder, and then Dr. Peterman. And gradually, and, and you figure... That was the first. So it's the, the longest studied diet. That's almost 100 years ago, and it's been studied since then in many different ways because people are still trying to fi- figure out why does keto work for epilepsy? They don't know, but they know a lot more about the diet now than they did before. So there are, it does affect neurotransmitters. And you could say, well, check that box for not only epilepsy, but for the, the conditions I just mentioned, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, obsessive compulsive, et cetera, et cetera, but also for autism, ADHD, hyperactive disorders for children in general. But this is pretty much the very edge of new applications for the ketogenic diet is keto for neurological and psychiatric conditions slash disorders. Okay. In that range of ketogenic diets, what we have are, remember I've told you about how you measure ketogenic diets, 413121, you add the carbohydrates and the proteins together in grams, and you measure that against the fat grams, and that's what you get a four to one. It's it's your fat, by the way, it's your fat versus your, um, you know, four times more fat than there is the carbohydrates and the proteins together. So you get your four to one, three to one, two to one. 
So the four to one is the highest fat. And if you remember back at the interview I did with uh, Beth, Kanya, and uh, she's from the Charlie Foundation, and we went over, there's actually five different uh, ketogenic diets, and one is considered what they call the low glycemic diet. You're simply choosing low sugary foods. They're all an approach. And the biggest different difficulty there for children was to get them on something so high fat and to lock them in on that, especially when they're not out of when they're out of parents' control, when they're at school or something. And so you have to simply do what works and, and make it as flexible as possible. Some have to be on it, period, because if they go on anything less, they're going to have a seizure. Um, the idea is that they just have to be on for a few years and then they could possibly be off it for the rest of their life. And that's exactly what happened to Charlie, who is the son of Jim and Karen Abrams that we've talked about before. And he's now, was on it for three years, off it. He's a normal person now. And he's, from what I understand, he's a, a elementary school teacher in California someplace. So we go a little bit into guessing about the mechanism of action with Dr. Palmer. You know, we, we know that it increases GABA, and yeah, decreases glutamate, and adenosine. Do you really need to know all that? Well, yeah, I would say you're gonna your eye should be caught by increasing GABA. That's what benzo benzodiazepines do. So benzodiazepines are tranquilizers, and kind of the ultimate tranquilizers. And so when you and, and so GABA is a thing that sort of calms you down. Doesn't put you to sleep. Doesn't you know, knock you out. It brings, and, and glutamine is an excitatory um, transmitter. So it basically brings that, brings you much more into balance. Think of a, a meditative, reflective sort of state of mind and uh, compare that to a hyperactive child running around the house as totally beyond control. Wouldn't you just like to bring that back? You don't want to put him to sleep or her to sleep, but you want him a little more in control. And this is what that does. Uh, what we used to say in Chinese medicine, especially in terms of uh, we did this for, we had a thing called auricular treatments, which are five points you put in the ear, and we would go and work in um, detox facilities. Detox specifically meaning people getting off of heroin and meth and uh, the various opiates. And so we'd have to get in there at five o'clock in the morning and we'd do a great big circle, go from person to person to person and put in their ear points. And so what did that do? It seems kind of superficial, doesn't it? What it did is we never knew back then. It probably did increase GABA, but it put them in a nice, calm, reflective way, which gave them the ability to be more conscious of their life and to make more conscious choices. So that's how I think of the ketogenic diet, increasing GABA. It puts you in a an ability to control what you want to be focused on or not, an ability to uh, access your own consciousness when you need it. So like meditation, if you will. Okay. And so what are some of the other medical conditions that we know? This is now through uh, Dr. Palmer. And you may not know this or not, but I'll just go down the list. We've talked about Alzheimer's. It's uh, Dr. Mary Newport out there, who husband at Alzheimer's, and she was the first to really crack open this issue. And then we have Stephen Kinane we just talked to a little while ago. Ketones are important. Your body can, your brain can use ketones. Most of your brain can use ketones always. 
but it's your ability to process glucose that drops away. So increase your ketones. Uh, you have Lou Gehrig disease, or what they call ALS. Autism, bipolar, brain tumors. Wife had a brain tumor, and generally if you were looking at a poster child for brain tumors, it would be, um, the name leaves me right now, I'll come to it later, but there's um, some brain tumors, and not the one my wife had, because there's it's a slow-growing one. A geoblastoma multiforme is the one that seems to be most quickly affected by uh, the ketogenic diet in a positive way, dramatically. And the thing why that is, is because it's such an aggressive brain tumor that if it doesn't get stopped, it will result in death pretty quickly. So it is a dramatic case, hence the poster child idea. Various cancers, now it's getting to be not normal, not common, but no longer rare for patients to go through chemotherapy with their high-fat, low-carb diet. And that's impressive. It minimizes side effects and it maximizes therapeutic benefit of the chemo. Depression. So depression is amazing when you think about it. That's no small thing when you think of how many suicides and lives are ruined in unreachable depression. And the fact that how you can go from depression to a ketogenic diet is a challenge, by the way, because depressed people tend not to want to try something new. But as it changes, and the reports have been there, that this is effective. And once they get that consciousness and out of their depression, it's a new way of life. Diabetes, diabetic neuropathy, metabolic syndrome. So we'll say that that's metabolic syndrome is a combination of being overweight and having uh, elevated cholesterol, triglycerides, call it heart heart condition and um, cardiovascular disease in general. Mitochondrial disorders, multiple sclerosis, narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is when people just fall asleep intermittently. Parkinson's you've heard, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, stroke, traumatic TBI, traumatic brain injury. Uh, that's impressive. So ketones, it's one of the few conditions, and there are other conditions like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and such, that uh, TBI, the ketones right away, can really help as an anti-inflammatory and, and shut down the, the damage. So without stealing too much of what we may talk about the next two times is that what's really interesting is that they've been finding in various disorders, you know, is it a mental disorder? Or is it a metabolic disorder? So what does that mean? A mental disorder is the ones defined like what I've just mentioned, the schizophrenia, the manic depressive, the uh, bipolar, and depression, of course. And yet they find actually it might be a metabolic disorder. Metabolic in its simplest form basically comes down to blood sugar, if you ask me. It's a little more complicated than that, but it's not much more complicated than that. If you're measuring your glucose and hemoglobin 1AC and you're in the fives, you probably are not, you have a very reduced chance of any sort of mental illness, even if you have a genetic predisposition. Isn't that amazing? So that's how important, that's how we can even generalize it further. We can say it's diet. That's how important diet is to mental illness. It, it Alzheimer's, I mean, well, Alzheimer's is, is that and is positively effective, but I was thinking more about ADHD. Um, autism, 
I would even think for dyslexia and the whole spectrum, the autistic spectrum disorders, Hashburgers as well, um, it's amazing to say that you can address these with diets. It's just so overly simplistic that it is unattractive to most physicians. They just won't go there. It's like you're absurd. Well, I guess the absurd wins nowadays because that's what's happening. So the idea mental illness was just off with genetic predisposition, perhaps due to chemical exposure, and this is how we thought. And now to say you're bringing it back into uh, metabolic areas, interesting. Interesting and applicable, and it's not just hypothetical is the point that I want to get across. And we have, you know, people diagnosed with schizophrenia are three times more likely to develop diabetes as the general population. So let me repeat that. People diagnosed with schizophrenia are three times more likely to develop diabetes as a general population. People diagnosed with depression are 60% more likely to develop diabetes than the general population. Amazing. So that speaks to blood sugar. That speaks to an underlying blood sugar, and maybe there was a predisposition but so they're at the end, they're the canary in the minefield. They are way more sensitive. So because they're so sensitive to that, they will start expressing, manifesting the symptoms of these particular disorders. You control their blood sugars, change their diet, and the disorders go away. That's unbelievable. This would be the conversation of a fool, but a decade ago. And diabetes often comes before obesity in severe mental illness. Diabetes often comes before obesity in severe mental illness. When people present with new onset schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, they often have glucose dysregulation, meaning highs and lows, right? We're getting, it'd be interesting what their hemoglobin 1ACs were, even though they did not meet the criteria for diabetes. So the criteria for diabetes is basically having three random blood sugar tests for 126, over 126, 126 or higher. Um, interesting. I think they should be measuring uh, insulin there. Would be into it is what's their insulin there? And certainly the A1C. People with diabetes are two or three times more likely to have clinical depression. Some of you are thinking, well, that would come from being obese. I didn't say obesity. I said diabetes. They're having... So blood sugar has a lot to do with being depressed. In any given time, 25% of people with diabetes have clinical depression. Depression lasts over four times longer in people with diabetes, 92 weeks versus 22 weeks in the general population. Depression worsens diabetes, higher glucose, worse insulin resistance, higher rates of vascular complications. Hope I'm winning you over here. So mental versus metabolic, cardiovascular disease and mental illness. People with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are 53% more likely to have cardiovascular disease than the general population. 20% of people with cardiovascular disease have depression. 33% of CHF have depression. That's congestive heart failure. It's interesting, there's a, you could think there's a metaphoric application here too, the heart, the heart. 
if your heart is wounded, if your heart is sick, if your heart is ill, congestive heart failure is is a heart that's got had to pump so hard, the muscles have stretched, and now it's big. They call it cardiomegaly. So it's just weak. It's tried, it's tried, it's tried, and now it's weak. And it's a big heart, so they'll have a big heart. So it's interesting. You can take it literally or metaphorically. Either way, it's associated with elevated blood sugars. Depression is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease. In healthy people, depression increases risk by 50 to 100%. So in healthy people, depression increases risk of cardiovascular disease by 50 to 100%. In people with cardiovascular disease, depression increases the risk by an, of another event by 50 to 150%. Chronic mental illness is associated with increased mortality, that is, decreased lifespan. Life expectancy is significantly reduced. Schizophrenia is reduced by 10 to 25 years. Bipolar is reduced by 9 to 20 years. Major depression is reduced by 7 to 18 years. Mortality is primarily due to cardiac disease, dementia, and cancer. Suicides rates are higher, but account for much less of these deaths, causes of these deaths. So this is all, this information is sort of getting you ready to listen to Dr. Palmer and our discussion together. It was a wonderful conversation. And he'll reveal a lot of his own and his family's path through this as well. So depression, weight loss alone is associated with improvement in depression. So improved depression, you'll improve weight loss. Numerous studies in epilepsy literature show improvement in depressive symptoms, mental clarity, alertness, increased energy, and improved sleep. Now, you probably don't remember back on the earlier podcast, way back when I did the history and evolution of the ketogenic diet, and I went through all these various papers and so on and so forth, but it was interesting way back in the in the 1920s and 30s, this is just when the ketogenic diet was coming out, you know, it was only about seeing if they can get a reduction in the, in the uh, epilepsy episodes, the grand mal seizures and petite mal seizures for epileptic children. But what they found is not only did they accomplish that, but these kids were their behavior they improved, their intention improved. So all these other things that seem to be anecdotal to you know observing these children are actually pretty fundamental. There is something neurologic, pan-neurology in its application. Schizophrenia and bipolar. Why consider a ketogenic diet? As I say, this is the edge. It is well established that treatment for epilepsy are commonly effective in psychiatric disorders, including mood disorders, psychotic disorders, anxiety, insomnia, etc. So in other words, if they treated all these other disorders just like they treated epilepsy, both with the same kind of medications are used for both, and for the diet, that's amazing. So they reverse engineered it. They said, well, if epilepsy is a neurologic disorder, let's apply it for other things that we really don't know about, these mental disorders that have to do with the brain. Mitochondrial dysfunction and disturbances in energy metabolism have been implicated in schizophrenia, bipolar, and depression. So when we get into the mitochondria, I hope you'll remember or go back and listen to the couple of podcasts I had with Dr. Tom Segfried. We got into the mitochondria very specifically 
how energy is both processed and how it is deranged in uh, cancer, the Warburg effect, etc. Ketogenic diet results in changes in neurotransmitters, inflammation, etc., that also play a role. Schizophrenia and bipolar. 2015, ketogenic diet reversed behavioral abnormalities in an acute NMDA, special receptor in the brain, hypofunction model of schizophrenia. So that's that's pretty dramatic. You don't need to know what the receptor is. Ketogenic diet normalized pathological behaviors in mouse models, including positive, negative, uh, including positive negative, and cognitive symptoms, noted improvement at two weeks, and increased in symptoms after diet, and increase in the symptoms after the diet stopped. 2018, ketogenic diet prevents impaired prepulse inhibition of being startled in um, acute NMDA receptor hypofunction. I know that's a big, long word. It basically meant it decreased one of the symptoms a lot, and that was a surprise. So what I'm trying to paint here is the new frontier of the ketogenic diet is not just things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Uh, MS is a bit fringe, actually, meaning it's getting success, but it hasn't been well studied. And I'm probably missing one or two, but you get even uh, vascular dementia. So we can go on and on uh, about this. And so what I'm lining up is in talking with Dr. Palmer, this whole application, you know, it, ha- it has yet to be formalized. He now is beginning to do an outreach to other docs primarily about implementing the ketogenic diet to their patients. And, you know, figure out most docs don't have much time to do anything more than they can get done in the course of their day. Uh, I'm partially sympathetic for that. You know, it's like, how do you learn more when your day is already spent seeing people? How do you let go of what your hand is full of so you can grab onto something else that will improve? how you treat the next patients. Anyways, you do, but it's tiring. So he's trying to make a program to reach out to other docs so there can be other practices across the country that will include the ketogenic diet for all these disorders. That's pretty wonderful. So I'm going to leave it at that and I guess summarize it, perhaps oversummarize it by saying, we know when we talk about the ketogenic diet, that the diet, or changes, I want to say helps, changes your microbiome, which is your gut, right? Anything below your stomach is your microbiome that we're going to talk about. And specifically, we're going to say your gut microbiome or your intestinal microbiome. So we know it changes it dramatically. And there's now studies coming out, certainly in the last five years, about neurotransmitters get changed directly because how the vagus nerve is stimulated. So you go from gut, you go to brain. That much is pretty much out there. So if you went microbiome, vagus nerve, neurotransmitters, diseases, you would see a number of things pop up in Google or in PubMed. Well, this is now drilling down even more specifically to some of the neurotransmitters in the brain that are changing the manifestations of various psychiatric disorders. That's amazing. That's just, it's mind-blowing. So... Till next time, appreciate you listening. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I thought I would take a moment of your time to tell you about something that we've been working on for a long time. And that is our product of C8 Keto MCT Oil. 
How is it different and why would you even care about it? It's the highest purity you can find in the market, which is 99.7% caprylic acid triglyceride. And by the way, that's backed up by a certificate of analysis. It's not just me making up these numbers. But I think the bigger story behind our C8 MCT oil is not only that it is the most efficient way for you to create ketones naturally, and that is all three ketones, your beta-hydroxybutyrate, your acetoacetate, and your acetone. That's important. But the other part is it supports sustainably harvested palm oil. Why would you care? Because all the other C8 oil products out there, not the MCT oils, but the C8 MCT oils, some people call them ketogenic oils out there, they come from palm oil. And palm farming, specifically palm kernel farming in Southeast Asia, is decimating the rainforest there. Absolutely. You go on right now to Google or to YouTube and say palm oil Southeast Asia, and you will be in tears at the end of 10 minutes when you see the destruction that's happening. This is not part of that. This is the exception. So it's called RSPO, Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. You have to apply for it. You have to be audited by them. And it's a long, rigorous process. And it took us two years to bring this product to market. I hope you care. And I know you'll care about the efficiency in which it helps you make ketones. By the way, we don't drink this like it's a fluid. We put a little bit in our coffee. We make our mayonnaise out of it. We make uh, various salad dressings out of it when we have a salad. It's basically a, I hate to say crutch, but it's my aid to keeping me in ketosis when I want to be in ketosis. It's fast. It's long lasting, certainly long, longer lasting than exogenous ketones and much more holistic, as I mentioned, with all three ketones. That's about as much as I want to say. I hope you look into it. I hope you uh, take your ketones readings on a regular basis, as along with your glucose. If you do, then you really value this product. All the best, and I thought you should know.